Welcome to Murder Avenue. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. We got another great, great show today. I'm excited about this. I'm happy to do it. But I can say that there's a good chance I'm not sure how long this is going to be. And I hate that because I know that you guys prefer a longer episode. I mean, statistically proven, (laughs) the longer episodes do better. Uh, Nonetheless, we're here. I'm Patrick. This is a fun podcast. I love doing true crime. Uh, It's just a, a passion of mine. All of this stuff interests me. And it only continues to get stranger. And in this particular case, it is very, very strange. It is very sad. Uh, It's going to be grim. As you guys should be aware, by now, this is what we do. Uh, Yeah, it's going to be grim. It's going to be sad because it takes place on what a lot of people consider to be a sacred day. Christmas Eve, right? That's a big deal. Christmas Eve is a huge deal. You can't not celebrate Christmas Eve. I mean, something's happening. For us, we would open at least one present. You got to open one on Christmas Eve because they're already there. Right? You're you're too excited. You can't even sleep. Let me at least open one, Mom. Come on. But anyways, yes, this is very strange. Not only because uh, being Christmas Eve, but also it's, it's a lot of... A lot of victims more than one and is it's a mass type of situation and we're going to get into that and it goes to the place that uh, I don't know much about and it's Washington so shout out to Washington Uh, we're doing something in your area be sure to subscribe to the show guys Uh, we're on Twitter uh, a bunch of places you know all this stuff is available in the episode description so if you just click that little drop down thing you read what the episode's about, there's links to all the places where uh, you can find us. So without further ado, let's dive into this crazy, crazy holiday case in Carnation, Washington, right now. So what proceeds to happen Christmas Eve of 2007 results in a bizarre trial many, many years later. Now, it takes place in a a small area called Carnation, Washington. I don't know much about it, and I'm not going to get too deep into it because, you know what, it is what it is. You guys want to know about that. The numbers and stuff that I have to go through and look at is, eh, you know what I mean? Eh, that's just how I feel. Uh, So it is Carnation, Washington. Um, The family on Christmas Eve was planning to do exactly what most families do. They get together. They wrap presents. They make dinner for the next day. It's a huge thing. Most families do this, and this is exactly what the family is going to do. 
It was uh, Wayne and Judy Anderson. They'd been married for 31 years, and their children. They had three kids, Mary, Scott, and Michelle, that were all adults. So this is probably one of the more favorable times, I would think, for most families when their kids are adults and they can actually help do some of the work, some of the wrapping of the presents, some of the gift shopping, some of the decorating, some of the cooking, right? Instead of when you're a kid and you're just kind of waiting for it to happen because you think it's a giant red man. You know, that's not the case. We know that's not the case. The point is, is this is, I would think this is a glorious time. They were all very happy. I mean, Scott Anderson had a family. He was married to Erica and they had two kids, uh, young kids, uh, five and three. And then you had Michelle, who I also said was an adult. And she actually lived on the property, on a property that Wayne and Judy both owned. Because Wayne was... He was an engineer at Boeing, which is a place that they do, like, plane stuff, I would imagine. I mean, he was an engineer. That's good money. That's a lot of uh, college work, I would think. And then Judy worked at the U.S. Postal Service. So it's not like they were they were struggling. I'm sure it was going to be a fucking great dinner. Even better presents, especially if you're one of the kids. Phenomenal. So like I said, uh, Michelle and her boyfriend, Joseph McEnroe, lived on a property that the Andersons actually owned. So they lived on a property that their parents owned. We all have either been in that situation or know people that are in that situation. That's just kind of how it works out. And if you do have that option, you're going to take it. What, I can live here and pretty much be rent-free? Because that's the situation. Michelle and Joe are living in this place, rent-free, no worries, and they have been for the past two years. Now, there is no information on Mary. Not in the sense that she was an adult, couldn't find photos, and I don't want to dive into her too much because, well, you'll see. So, uh, the family is getting together. They want to hang out together. It's the holidays. This is what we do. We go, we congregate with the family. Sometimes that's the only time you see them, right? Sometimes only the holidays you spend with your family. That's a special time. So, for something like this to occur, you can only wonder... What the fuck's going on? What are we getting into? Please tell us. And I'm going to do that. Now, unfortunately, what ends up happening is during the family function, before even the family functions begin, Michelle and Joe burst into the house firing guns. There was possible chance, and Michelle and, uh, no, excuse me, not Michelle, Judy and Wayne were the only ones there at this time. So they burst in, end up killing the parents. They try to clean up the they try to clean up this ridiculously horrible scene with towels and carpets, like rugs. I mean, in reality, we all know that, that you're just fucking smearing it all around. Then they proceed to take Judy and Wayne outside to the shed in the back and hide the bodies now they stay in the house for quite some time they actually stay in the house for over an hour just waiting because it's a family function there's more to come so Michelle and Joseph McEnroe end up waiting at this house for over an hour and Scott Anderson finally shows up with his wife, with his two children, 
and they go inside. They are eventually slain as well by these two insane people. They end up shooting them as well, and Erica ends up surviving long enough, which she is Scott's wife. She survives long enough to make a phone call, to call 911, of course. It'd be strange if she just called somebody else. I mean, the timing of that is ridiculous. Uh, so they end up, she ends up surviving long enough to make a phone call to 911, and in the recording, you don't hear anybody say anything besides the operator. Uh, it kind of sounds like gunshots, like faint gunshots. Like it almost sounds like it's through a pillow, if that makes sense. The way it's so muffled, it couldn't be. It could just be. I don't know, just some other sound. But it definitely sounds like multiple gunshots, and then the phone just goes off. But Erica did manage to call the police in time for. Basically, they they're still gonna send somebody, so police officers still come. They go to the house. Now. I'm, I'm kind of leaving this out just a little bit because I don't want to dive into it that much here. And uh, they did kill the two children. And it's fucking ridiculous. They, in their heads, Joseph McEnroe and Michelle Anderson thought that better to save them. They're freeing them because they just saw their parents get killed. It's going to ruin them. Better off to free them. And that is their words. They're, or at least Joseph's words. Now, we'll dive more into him in a second, but ah, just so ridiculous. I don't want to talk about that very much because it is, it's so grim, you guys. That's just the worst fucking thing you can do. Whether or not you try to bridge the gap in your mind that that's okay by saying, oh, yeah, I'm fucking freeing them because they're going to be ruined because they saw people dying from them. That's just twisted as shit. Now, Joseph McEnroe actually also apologized to the children before killing them. Like, it just gets darker. It just gets so dark. Like I said, they didn't want the children growing up corrupted by the murders, so they freed them. Absolutely ridiculous. Like I said, many years go by, and the trial itself, when you really see this guy speak, you see how fucking weird and broken he is. And we'll explain more on that in a second. Now, the crazy thing about when the cops actually come, because they came on their own volition, basically, because of the first phone call... They receive the call. Nobody really says anything. It's hard to decipher what was taking place. So they show up anyways. Now, Michelle and Joseph were already on it and decided to go down and close the gate. They locked the gate to the house. Locked gate? Can't get in, apparently. So the cops say, fuck it. And way too much time passes. An entire day goes by before anybody else thinks of anything like hey wh wh what's going on with these people is something happening in there i mean it is the holidays but still so the locked gate actually two days go by before uh one of judy's friends feels weird about the or actually co-workers one of judy excuse me yeah, i'm sorry i'm a little off uh, my notes are kind of it doesn't matter <laughs> this is just real this is fucking real all right so like i said two days go by one of Judy's co-workers is feeling weird about it. And it's nice to have people to pay that much attention to you at work. Where they're like, oh, she hasn't been here and she never misses a day. Because those are sometimes... When you hear about cases like this, and murders in general, sometimes those are the people that find the bodies or otherwise. Somehow they're the ones that solve the case. 
I mean, just thinking about Chris Watts and the shit that happened with him and the entire videotape from the officer going to the house because the friend felt weird that she hadn't heard from her when she always heard from her. I mean, you have to be that good of a friend or that much of a, a, a co-worker to be like, oh, Judy's always here. She wasn't here. Well, that's weird as shit. So I'm going to go to her house and see what's up. So the lady does, and she takes a friend, she takes another co-worker of hers to Judy's house, they knock on the door, nobody answers, and that's because nobody's there that's alive. So she decides to go inside thinking, hey, you know what, something's up, let's get inside the house, and she does. Uh, the crazier thing here is not even just the fact that she gets into the house, but the fact that she somehow managed to get past this gate that the police officers didn't manage to go around. That's crazy. Two days go by before anything... What? What are you doing, officers? You heard a very strange phone call. You should at least be getting to that front door, regardless of the barricade of the property. I mean, right? That doesn't even make any sense. I mean, when a co-worker is like, yeah, no, fuck this gate. I'm going to go see what's going on. I would think that the officers would have had that same, you know thing in their mind to say oh yeah fuck this gate it's just a gate something's going on that doesn't happen very often we need to see what's up that's part of the job oh there's a gate we'll come back so the co-worker actually does get into the house and when she goes inside she sees scott laying down near the front and she thinks it's a uh, carbon monoxide poisoning so she goes to grab scott and drag him out and that's when she realizes that he got shot in the head. And due to the police call that she makes, which ultimately makes the officers return, she says she, she had to have saw more than just Scott. Because on the call, she says that there's children as well. And the, I, that's just crazy. It's so crazy to be that person that finds that. Because even though you're not family you knew these people and also there's children it's going to affect you severely it's going to affect you it can't not affect you this lady found what four dead bodies in the house and then there's two more in the shed so six people she did she at least found saw four of them and that in itself is going to mess with you forever she immediately went to therapy after this I mean, I would imagine the officers, if they're smart at all, would have told her, hey, you got to go to therapy, lady. This isn't for you. I, I'm a cop, and I'm going to therapy tomorrow. This fucked me up, right? I mean, it's so twisted. So twisted. And we're going to dive into more of the reasoning behind all of this, because some crazier shit continues to happen. So, to the best of our knowledge, because the motive is unclear, there's many claims that Scott owed, owed his sister money, upwards of 40 grand, and the parents were apparently trying to ask Michelle and Joe to pay rent for the trailer they're staying in on their fucking property. That's the, that's the basic two that we've got. From, from their confession, because they confessed. Now it gets even weirder, like I said. What happens is, there's a two-day span 
before the, the, the police decide to swarm the place, and they do swarm, and they find all the bodies, but there's nobody there. So what happens is, this is their plan. This is Michelle and Joseph's plan. They decide to kill their family, everybody but Mary, who is still alive. That's obviously why there is no like information on her or photos, because she's, a survi she's arrived. She's alive somewhere. She wasn't here. Because, like I said, Michelle and Joseph end up leaving. They drive uh, to Canada first, and then to Oregon, and back. And that's, that's a lot of fucking driving. How you do that? That's a lot of gas, too. So being, the police, like I said, swarm. They drove to uh, Canada, then Oregon. Uh, pretended to... They, their plan was to pretend that they discovered the bodies themselves. They're the ones that actually discover the bodies. But when they come back the police have already showed up. And you know why? It's because of the fucking co-worker. If it wasn't for the co-worker, would the police ever have came back? Would they have came back when these two showed up? Because then, they probably still would have got caught. But at the same time, would they? If the cops weren't planning to go around the fucking gate, would these two have got caught for what they did? Who knows? If they, if they, if the coworker didn't show up and find the bodies, would they have been the ones? That would, I don't know how it would have worked out. Thankfully, it didn't work that way, and it's all because of the the coworker lady, who ends up going in there, going past this this uh, force field of a gate. That's crazy. She's a hero for sure, majestic hero. But at the same time, she's got to be ruined absolutely ruined you can hear it in her voice when she does the police call it's fucking crazy you guys i mean to even put yourself in that position that's the worst because in your head you're probably just thinking oh, on the drive over there you're thinking things are probably fine she may have just quit her job or something because people do that people just don't show up because they don't want to fucking work there anymore that happens but there are still plenty of people who have done this and found said person, said victims. And I know it has to ruin you. It can't be good at all. There's no way. It's going to stick with you forever. Because what ends up happening is Joseph and Michelle, their whole plan was to say, we went to Vegas to get married on Christmas Eve when you're supposed to be here hanging out with your family and you live on a property that they own. So what? that's pretty weird. They weren't buying it. And eventually it pushes them to say, you know, we did it. We, we confess. They said that they saw the, the last time that they saw the parents was on Christmas Eve. So that means that they decided to see their parents and they were taken off to get married in Vegas. And one of the main questions that basically cracked them was when the police said, Why do you think we're here? And Joseph simply replied, I don't know. I have no idea. That's weird. I mean, it's just weird. I don't understand really how... You have to be a pretty good cop to read through that. I mean, he might just not know. But they, I mean, they came back. So that's got to be weird. So you went to Vegas to get married, and now you're here in a day's time, whatever. So the $40,000 from Scott was the alleged motive, as well as just money, having to pay rent to their parents, or Michelle's parents, for staying on the property. That seems a little weak to me. And as we get to the trial, specifically, 
the trial for Joseph, you see he's just not well. He seems easily manipulated, and that's definitely the way that they lean, as well as mental illness. They say that he's not right in his head, and how could you be? Because he was so not right in the head that his girlfriend was able to convince him to help murder her family and children, and he was like, okay, what? That's a thing? It apparently happened. I mean, when they go to trial, uh, Joseph ends up, like I said, he ends up doing a lot of very, very weird things while he's being questioned. He cries. He knocks the microphone down and screams a little bit into his own arms. It's a scene. It's a, it's a scene of a guy who doesn't look well. And this stuff has affected him because he's not well. As it should. It's going to ruin him forever, but he's not well. He wasn't well before it happened to be manipulated to do such a thing. So they also try to say that the family, Wayne and Judy, abused Michelle. They beat her. They sadistically abused her emotionally. And they, they said physically as well, but all the details point to not, not possible. Wayne and Judy were not like that. Uh, she told her, this is some things that she told her boyfriend as well, to try and convince Joseph McEnroe to help her kill these people, her whole family. Uh, they plan to kill the family with the boyfriend doing, due to the manipulation. And when you see this fucking guy being questioned, uh, he, he talks in a whisper. And it's sinister as fuck. Uh, they tell the police everything, like I said. Uh, on December 28th, they're officially charged with six counts of murder, both of them. And as I said... This happens in 2007, but eight years go by before the trial begins, and everybody wants death penalty. Everybody wants it. There's people on the streets saying that they want the death penalty. The prosecutor on October, two, October of 2008 also said he wants the death penalty. So, for, and that's why it all got held back, because the prosecutor wanted the death penalty, but the state didn't allow it, so four years later... They say that they basically say no death penalty can't do that. But then September eighth, twenty thirteen, the Supreme Court finally overturns the ruling, pushing them to trial immediately, because they're just sitting, they're accumulating time before ever being tried for this crazy, absurd murder. So what bothers me, outside of just the fact that these people killed their whole family, is how often we see this happening where a woman seems to be able to manipulate a man to kill people it just doesn't make sense to me it doesn't make sense people are highly manipulative and there are people that are willing to be fall victim to that but at the same time murder i just don't see it i just don't believe it i mean obviously you can make somebody do something that you want that's clear. No matter if you're male, female, whatever, it doesn't matter. You have the capabilities to do so, especially if that person loves you. But at the same time, there's a fucking line. There's a line. And I would think it involves someone asking you to kill someone for them. That, right? I mean, hello? That seems to make the most sense to me. Hey, I'll do anything you want, except murder. Duh. Like, what are we talking about here? 
And it's so it's crazy to think that this happens more more often than not. Where you have a rich family or a, a wealthy husband and the side guy gets convinced to kill him because he likes her. So, like, what do you think's going to happen? You think you're just going to get away with it and everything's going to be fucking awesome? You're going to get your parents' money? It just doesn't make sense. The plans always end up the same. You go in prison. Now, speaking of prison, like I said, they were both actually charged with six counts of murder. And so many years go by because they want the death penalty and they won't allow it. And it kind of got pushed under the rug until the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court somehow got a hold of it and said, hey, man, we got to fucking get this shit going. We got to get going right now. So they end up going to trial. Uh, they were actually tried separately. Uh, January 20th uh, of 2013, Joe actually... His trial begins, and as I said, he did a lot of strange, strange things on the stand. It is a spectacle to watch. Hard to to think that there wasn't something wrong with him. Uh, they tried to say that his mental illness was caused by abuse from his mother, who just, I mean, it's got to it's got to come from somewhere. Most certainly, it just has to. I would think. Uh, I don't know how it's just developed, and then to the level of, hey, will you kill my family? Sure, babe. Like, it doesn't make sense. No no average intelligent person would be like, yeah, dude, that makes sense. That's good. What are we doing? When are we doing it? Oh, Christmas Eve? Phenomenal. And for what? Oh, because we got to pay rent? That's crazy. You know, like a fucking adult. It doesn't... Guys, what are we doing? Like I said, many claims of Joe being heavily manipulated by Michelle. It doesn't pan out. He gets found guilty. He gets... On March 2015, he's found guilty. He gets no death penalty, but he is sentenced to life without parole. And then um, May 2015, no, excuse me, January 2016, Michelle's trial finally begins. And as soon as it begins, they already take the death penalty off the table. And because when the Supreme Court came in and said, hey, guys, let's move on with the trial, they said, everything goes. If you guys want death penalty, go for it. But here we are with Michelle, and they said they definitely don't want the death penalty just out the gate. So she ends up being charged the exact same, six counts of murder, um, March 4th, 2016, and she gets life with no parole. And as I said, it all comes down to this, the motive. Even to be manipulated is one thing, but to understand why Michelle would even manipulate him if that's the case here... Because he doesn't seem well. He didn't seem he doesn't seem like a bright guy. So that makes him easier to manipulate. And if she did do that, and I'm speculating here, this is all alleged in my mind, they were still charged with murder, both of them. But what do we know about it? What can we honestly sit here and say to ourselves and believe this is why it happened? Did they do it because they had to start paying rent? When they must have had money. Because they were traveling from Canada to Oregon, and this is after they killed their parents, but how'd they do that? They just take their money, or they have cash in the house? There's so many questions there as well. But they must have had some sort of money, because they had the trailer, they'd lived there for two years. What were they doing, just hanging out? They didn't accumulate any funds by living rent-free? That's crazy. And I feel like I've said crazy a lot in this episode, but that's really what it is. Absolutely insanity. It's nothing else but that. And they both were charged with some 
you know, six counts of, and the six counts were involved just grimmer details than even necessary to talk about. And I would say, luckily, Erica was able to get to the phone when she did because it at least made the cops acknowledge something could have been happening. It's a shame that they didn't come back sooner, but it is also a blessing that the co-worker just, I mean, it, it's a blessing in a sense that she found them and was able to call the cops again, but it's also a curse now because she's going to be, it's going to be in her mind forever. Now, Michelle actually just says, fuck it, March 4, 2016, like I said, same charges. She's, the motive here is the whole thing. And that's really what I want to just dive back into real quick. And I keep saying dive, guys. I'm so sorry. But, hey, it's real. Authenticity is key. No. Um, practice. Yes. Practice is key. Now, let's just close it out with this. My opinion here, and from what we've seen, it kind of comes to the conclusion, in my, in my, in my own opinion that they were victims of their own paranoia. Everybody else, you can see it. A lot of other people have made this claim too. When you see the guy on the stand, you you hear him speak. You also, you see what happened in the case. Uh, they basically did it for nothing. For nothing. And also you have to ask the same question. What the fuck were you going to gain anyways? By killing your parents and your brother? And his family, what is to gain from this? Absolutely nothing. It doesn't make sense that people do that thinking something is... Because they think they're going to get away with it. And that's the absurd... That's that's more insane than anything else. Thinking you're going to get away. And I think they probably got more confident as time passed after the cops came to the gate and decided to turn away. They had to have been there. They just called the cops. Erica was just able to get to the phone when the cops showed up, I would imagine, within 15 minutes later. So they still had to be there. But because the officers didn't want to go around the gate, bad things happen, you know. Okay, guys, that's going to be our episode for today, for this week, for whatever. I hope you enjoy it. I really enjoy doing these true crimes. It is... You have to be in a certain mind, a mindset to go into this. You have to be prepared, and that's my whole thing. If I'm not feeling true crime, I'm not going to fucking do it. I just can't, I can't force myself to look into true crime and do research and take notes and all this, this you know, stuff that I do for the show. Only to, because it's, it's dark. It's so fucking dark. I'm sorry for cursing. Am I? Hmm. No way to tell. But yes, this has been the podcast, and I appreciate you all so much. I said y'all. It's probably the first time in a while. But I thank you all for your support by listening to the show, subscribing, telling people, because as we continue to see, we're growing and we continue to grow, and I appreciate it so much. Don't forget, all the true support comes from you guys and the listeners and clicking play, clicking download, whatever it may be. But I know that there's some of you out there that really want to help support the show and do more. And if that is the case... Make a simple donation at paypal.me slash chewed. That's C-H-E-W-E-D. Paypal.com slash chewed. Comes directly to me. It's for all the podcasts. Or become a a donator. A donator? Hmm. Sounds like a person that just mashes. It's like the cookie monster. But the donator just smashes donuts. Probably be an adorable puppet. Sorry, Sesame Street. (laughs) I'm surprised I haven't done that yet. That's weird. 
But anyways, what I'm saying is you can also go to patreon.com slash podculture. That's P-O-D-C-U-L-T-U-R-E. I put these links in the episode descriptions all the time. If you guys feel like doing that, it's huge. It means the world. One dollar, two dollars. Once we get to a certain level, guys, guess what we're going to do? We're going to put out extra content. We're going to work harder. We're going to be full-time, full investment, right? You're investing in your own entertainment this way because... As you see, don't get a lot of sponsors, but it is much appreciated. All the support, even just subscribing, playing the playing the show itself means the world. And I thank you all wholeheartedly. I, I wouldn't do it otherwise. I truly would just I would just quit. <laughs> if nobody if nobody listens, well, what's the point? But then again, it is also for me. I love it. It's fun. Uh, we'll see you next time.